All right, thanks. Thanks, Mark and team. Appreciate it. I'm uh, not sure if I mentioned earlier. So Travis is also out sick. He got the bug as well, but I think he shared his as a little on the mild side too. So uh, be praying for him as he recoups and gets over it. And I think it's just wise to give yourself a few extra days on the quarantine thing, but I think he's, he's doing well. So be praying for him. And again, appreciate Mark stepping in and the others. Appreciate Brian speaking in last week and uh, walked us through Nehemiah chapter 4. I got to be honest, that was one of those messages that was hard for me to let go because it was so, man, I want to preach that one. So he said, well, go ahead, but I won't. So we'll move on to chapter 5 anyway, all right? So Nehemiah chapter 5 uh, is where we're going to pick it up. If you remember last week, and by the way, in your digital bulletin there, if you scan that, there's... Uh, notes of this of this message today and uh, all kinds of other information you can find on the bulletin, but there's, there's notes you can follow whether now or throughout this week. Um, we saw last week, and I think it's verse 2021, 20, where, you know, this, this great powerful statement when, when Nehemiah says, our God will fight for us. Remember, uh, the outside enemy was coming after these guys. We're building the wall, and the neighbors don't like that because they're, they're misinterpreting or maybe they're just afraid of what God's doing. And so there was this fear, this constant awareness of the outward, the outside um, persecution. So, you know, we had the, the, you gather around the wall, they're all doing their job, and there was this point when he said, man, when you hear the horn, when you hear the trumpet, uh, just know that's where the battle is. So all, everybody would come together. And, and, but when I, when I think of that statement, our God will fight for us, and that's a real charge, right? That kind of motivates us. Yeah, God's got this. Sometimes we look at that and we think, well, there's clearly an enemy out in the world that is not in favor of the work of what Christ is doing, what he's done, what the church is all about, um, there's an enemy. And we talk about that. We're aware of that. The enemy comes in different ways from, from outside sources. And, but what we sometimes overlook is the evil and the work that happens within the group, within the family. Sometimes Satan isn't just attacking through the, uh, the persecution from outside, but it's also from within, challenges, discouragement, divisions, things that happen. We assume that if God is for us and fighting for us, then as long as we are faithful and do the kind of the good stuff, we won't have any problems. There won't be any challenges. Well, if we've learned anything in the last couple of years, there are challenges, uh, insurmountable challenges beyond our control, beyond uh, our ability to say, hey, let's just be okay with it. There's, there, it's hard. We see hard things. We were told last week uh, how to respond to these outside challenges. When the enemy of God and, and the work of the enemy tries to hinder us, we are to resist and stay ready. We're to return to God, reinforce our faith, and resume our work. And what a great challenge that is. So don't give up. Yeah, there's a battle, and there's, there's bad things that happen. So reinforce our faith. God's got this. He's, he's going to fight for us. But then get back to work. And then we get to chapter 5, and things begin to change. See, what we need to hear today, and some of you need to hear, when you're going through a challenging time, like stuff in your life is happening beyond your control, you need to be reminded that we didn't ask for this. 
We didn't step out and say, God, man, I'm just things are going great. Could you just like hammer me with some problems right now so I'd be a stronger person? No one prays like that. If you do, you need help. So we don't normally talk to God like that. But the truth is, God often works in our lives through the hardest of times, whether it's from without or even things within the family. Sometimes it's of our own doing. We get ourselves in a pickle. We make bad choices, and all of a sudden, we're, our back is against the wall. But many times, it's beyond our control. Things are just hard. The system is broken. We're not in heaven yet. We need to be reminded of that once in a while. You know, you got a lot going for you, a lot of things we love, but we're not in heaven yet. Things can be hard. Remember God's loving and faithful activity in the past is what serves as a reinforcement for our faith in his future. Let me say that again. Why do we study an Old Testament passage? Why do we look at the Holy Scriptures and find a story from 2,400 years ago? Remember, God's loving and faithful activity in the past serve as a reinforcement for our faith in His future. What God did then, He's continuing now. Our trust in Him for today and tomorrow is because of His faithfulness yesterday, 10 years ago, and 2,400 years ago, when we find ourselves in the book of Nehemiah. In this stage of the story, all is not well. They're building the wall. It's halfway built. They've been reminded to stay, in, stay at it. Don't be discouraged by the outside sources. But now we come to an internal issue, problems within the family. Something's not right here is what we're going to look at. The awareness of the enemy is now looked upon as the awareness of stuff inside The reason that we care for each other, the reason that followers of Christ are called to do life together and to look after each other and to pray for one another and to uphold each other, the reason we're called to that is because we see the circumstances mounting up around us as opportunities that God is still working. See, some Christians believe that if God's working, then everything's easy. It's awesome. It's comfortable. We're just flying. But the truth is, God works in some of the hardest of circumstances. Most of you can attest to at least something regarding your own story. Perhaps he has us right where he does to be helpful. Perhaps he's put some challenges around us, some people that are really going through a hard time, or or this doesn't seem to be working well, and he's put you right where he has because of the opportunity. God is always at work. The redeeming work of Christ on the cross and the implications of that are why you and I are here. We're not just saved by the gospel of the good news. We now live it. It's activated in our lives every day. We're aware lost people around us need Jesus. Christian people around us need to be encouraged to live for Jesus. So that the living for the gospel shows itself in sometimes those hard situations, even within the family. So let's take a look at this. The first big area is what I'm calling God's people. God's people, the family of God in the Old Testament, we're going to see the struggles are real and they're near. The struggles are very real. I know this is 2,400 years ago and pretty far removed from Flagstaff, but what they're going through is not just hard, it's it's something they feel and it's very real, but it's also very near. This is within the family. As a reminder, when we think of the family of God, um, in the Old Testament, the people of God, 
uh, or what we call the Israelites. It's by nation. God started that nation specifically as his people, Jewish people, the people of Israel. In the New Testament, in the time that we live now, um, the people of God, the family of God, are those who have a relationship with God only through Jesus. Not just people say God's probably real and he's probably big and I kind of believe some of this and there's got to be something more. No, it's people that have a relationship with God through Christ. That is the family of God. This church, many churches like ours, people that preach the gospel and know who Christ is. Every Jewish person and people of the, the nation of Israel, they weren't all trusting God. There were people among them that were dissonants, that were, that were distant from the true teaching of, of what the Bible said about who God was. But as a nation, God specifically chose them, and he, that plays out in our past as well as even in our future. But today, the people of God are those that have a relationship with God only through Christ, which many in this room do. Many of you watching do. I would love for all of you to. I want to invite all of you to say, do I have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Because of what he did on the cross for my sake, am I his? Do I belong to him? Is he in me? Is he dwelling with me? Do I know for sure that if I die tomorrow, I am with Christ? Or do I just know about him? And I just see him from a distance and say, yeah, that's probably good stuff. You want to know Christ is yours. You want to know that what he did for you, you step into by saying, yes, Lord, I do believe. I confess my sin. I repent of, of, my, of my sin before you, that sin that sent Jesus to the cross. Acknowledge it and then receive what he's done for you. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he rose from the grave. So God's people, that's who we're talking about, not just a nation, but those that know him. Struggles are real and they're very near. Let's pick up our passage in Nehemiah 5, verse number 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. So it's very specific here of who we're talking about. Verse 2, for there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, this is the first group, there's going to be four, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. Second group, verse 3, there were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. Third group, verse 4, and there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children. And we see the fourth group here, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves or servants. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For others, excuse me, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. So Nehemiah says, as he's, as he's writing now chapter 5, which is it the day after chapter 4 finished? You know, probably not. I don't know exactly how the timing works. He gives the account of what happened last week. And now he says, and moreover, I heard an outcry from the people. It came to my attention the anguish that these, our people are going through. We've dealt with the outsiders last week. We've dealt with how to protect the wall and how to sound the trumpet and come to each other's aid. But now they're at the outcry is, look, my fellow Jewish brothers and sisters are, are making this really hard on us. Remember, the, the scriptures are not written to us. They're not given to us in a vacuum. 
There's a real culture. There's some real things. Uh, much like our times, it's, it's complicated. There's layers. There's a lot of ways you address a topic. One of the things that was going on is there's a famine. There's a famine in the land. We just read that. And so these, these responses, the outcry of the people, uh, you see their response to the things that are going wrong in the famine. So we have a food shortage. Why? I don't know. Uh, some think maybe the, the, the harvesting wasn't uh, as active because of the work on the wall or because of how people were coming back to the land. Um, the other group, you saw the limited food was ridiculously priced. So they're gouging the prices. And this is Jew to Jew. This is within, within Judah, within Jerusalem as they're rebuilding this wall. And it's like, man, we're, we're broke. We just want something to eat. Verse, the, the first group are just, they're just poor saying we need food. And the second group is saying, man, it's so expensive. <laughs> There's a lot of application today, am I right, everybody? Uh, it's so expensive. We need help. We're, we're mortgaging our home to pay our bills, to do like everyday stuff. And then the group is saying, man, the king's tax alone. And by the way, taxes there aren't like taxes now. Does anybody in the room love taxes, love paying taxes, glad to pay them? You don't mind putting a little extra in there for Uncle Sam? Raise your hand. Not one person. You wouldn't dare raise your hand, right? Taxes for us, honestly, really not that bad. This building we're sitting in, we paid for this, right? We taxpayers, we paid for this. Their taxes didn't pay for the building. Their taxes went directly to the king. Their taxes went directly to the higher-ups, and it only stayed there. It didn't pave their streets and make sure someone picked up their garbage twice a week. They didn't have the luxuries that we do. And so they're saying, man, the taxes are outrageous. We're paying all this money. And we see even, even to the point, the fourth group, there's some wealthy Jewish brothers that are exploiting fellow Jews uh, by loaning money and taking their property, even their own children. Now, before we get on our high horse and say, wow, what a despicable, horrible situation, it's not written in a vacuum. This is real life. People are in such desperate, horrible, desolate need right now. We can't pay our money. We're doing everything we can. We're, we're borrowing. We're putting the land that we inherited. We're putting it up as collateral. They come and they, they, they would receive the, the payment. We don't have it. And so they would say, well, your, your child can come work for me. How's that? Like indefinitely and for free. This is like part of it. You see, the weight of this, the, the anxious, the anxiety. Now, what's weird about this, if you've been reading along, is I thought everything was like on the outside like two verses ago. Like chapter 4, it's like the enemy is bad. We should fight against the enemy. And then all of a sudden, Nehemiah's like, man, I'm hearing this outcry. And there's, there's troubles at home. There's like some problems among the family here. Why did that just all of a sudden show up? Why did it all of a sudden come to his attention? I don't know. Perhaps the work on the wall kept everybody going. Perhaps the focus was clear. And this was all kind of in the background going on. And then all of a sudden, he hears word about it. Please know that the enemy isn't just working from without. I said this months ago in one of the messages that addressed our church and churches like ours in a time when we're trying to respond responsibly in a COVID and political mess and all the issues. I don't know that Satan's best work is from without. Sometimes I fear the biggest obstacle we face is from within. And I don't look to you as a congregation and say, wow, you guys are a mess. I think as followers of Christ globally, it's easy to turn inward and to make the problems here as opposed to realize, wow, 
This problem that I'm having with a brother, this problem that Christians disagree on, we have different views on this, we struggle with these areas. I think God uses those and allows those as opportunities for us to care for each other, to lean into each other. The enemy's out there. How about we protect ourselves and not let him in here? I think that's the call of this passage today. And we see that with a second point. Uh, we see God's people and the struggles that are very near. But then we also see the, the response of, of Nehemiah, the leader. See, God's ways are better. God's ways are better than our ways, right? The Bible tells us that. When we think of how to deal with problems and challenges and the trials and what do we do to help this person get through this or what do I do because I disagree with that or, or what do I do because financially I'm just upside down and I can't figure it out. Instead of attacking each other, we need to have a response that, that's, that reflects God's ways. We see a righteous indignation that's followed by wise counsel, wise actions. What do we mean by righteous indignation, everybody? Sometimes it's good to be angry, right? Now, if you have an anger problem, that might not be you right now, um, but I'm talking about just getting angry about the right kinds of things. Not, not, I want to be careful there because there's a bazillion things we can get angry about. Let's stay with the passage. We see what, what, what anger, what a righteous indignation means. Verse number six, Nehemiah's response after he's heard about what's going on with his people and why, why all this stuff that's, that's, that's being abusive with the financial trials and the, and the famine. He says in verse 6, I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. First part of verse 7, I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. Let's not go too fast right here. I think this is huge. I think this whole passage pivots on this verse right here. You hear the outcry. You look around and say, all's not well within the family. What do we do? Well, let's just go start a new family. Let's just split. Let's start something else. Let's not deal with the problem. Let's just go do something else. Nehemiah says, man, I heard this and I was angry. He didn't just say I was hurt, disappointed. My feelings were hurt. I'm real sensitive. <laughs> I'm angry. I'm angry at what I'm hearing. This is what we call a righteous indignation. It's standing for that which is true. Jesus did this. In Mark chapter 3, verse 5, with the Pharisees looking on at this miracle, he looked around at them with anger. Jesus had anger towards the Pharisees. Grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. God said, I'll show you how this works. He was angry at them. He was bummed at their attitude, their hardness of heart. The anger of Nehemiah is a righteous anger. We shouldn't be okay with things that are broken. We shouldn't be okay with, with infighting, with people that are being abusive and mistreating and not caring for one another. His response, number one, is he was anger. He was angry, a righteous indignation. Uh, he was angry at the lack of love. He was angry at the lack of caring for each other. If I hear my brother has a need, it seems like I should step in and help him. How can we as a community come alongside? Well, we're hurting too, so we can only do so much. And we see this throughout culture, throughout the world history. Those that have a lot sometimes can be abusive with, well, I'll loan you this, but here's what's going to cost you. And, and, and remember, I don't know if you knew this, but the, in, in, the, in the law it was given that the Jews could loan to each other, but they couldn't charge interest. Isn't that cool? Like, you need help, I can give you help. I'll spot you. But they weren't allowed to charge interest. 
Now, I'm sure there were some abuses that had to be dealt with and plenty of issues to talk about. But generally speaking, yeah, we care for each other. And sometimes it's a loan. It needs to be paid back. But they weren't allowed to use it for their own gain. And so we see the abuse of that. Uh, Wearsby says in one of his books, Nehemiah was not a politician who asked what is popular or a diplomat who asked what is safe, but he was a true, late, a true leader and said, what is right? This is wrong, what's happening with you guys. This isn't acceptable. This is wrong. He was angry at it. His second response was he took time. He stopped. He, he paused. Uh, I call it the count to 10 approach. Right? You've ever heard that when you're, when you're dealing with something, something affects you right now? Sometimes the best thing you do is count. Some of you it's 10. Some of you it might need to be 100, all right? I just need to pause right now because I want to respond this way and lash out. Best thing you can do usually is step away from the keyboard. I highly recommend that. Go for a walk outside. Play with your dog. Do something to freshen you up. We need to step away from the hot moment and take a moment. Take some time. There's wisdom in that. There's wisdom in saying, I took counsel of myself. Something's not right here. This doesn't sound right. I'm really angry about it. But instead of just hitting it, he took time. May I encourage you to give yourself permission to take time. Whether it's in marriage, usually a good idea, dealing with kids, watching the news, taking information, realizing there's a problem with somebody, pause. He wasn't wrong in what would become the answer. He was right in giving himself to collect himself and hear that answer, even what the Lord had already given him. Take time. Whether it's count to 10 or take a 20-minute walk, go to your prayer closet, lean on the Lord, say, God, I need your help right now. Hey, God, before I say something, what, what do I do here? This is a conflict, clearly, but I also see that conflict as an opportunity that you're still working. Man, why do we do that? Why do we see a conflict and say, well, God obviously left the building because we have a problem. No, he's right there. He's in the middle of that. He wants us to respond and trust him. And that's what we see here happening here. So in verses 6 and 7, though Nehemiah's anger was certainly a righteous indignation, he didn't take immediate action. He paused. He gave himself time. Um, I think we need to be passionate about the right things. This got him. There's some of us that we might hear, but it's bad with these people and this is going on and it may not really affect us. I think it's important that we find passion around things that God does. God cares for the poor. God cares for the way he's laid out in scripture where to care for one another. So when they were charging interest and being abusive and taking advantage, that angers God. God cares for the needy. He cares for those, the vulnerable that are dependent upon the rest of us. Others. Uh, so back in verse 7, he says, I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. So Nehemiah takes action. So this makes me mad. This isn't right. This isn't working. I'm angry. He pauses. Then he comes back and says, hey, guys, he calls in the nobles, the leaders, the guys that were instigating. Hey, we need to have a meeting. You guys are messing up, and this isn't good. Don't you love confrontation? How many of you love confrontation? Yeah. I'm looking for that hand. All right, now the hand goes up. There's a time when you got to step up. Good leadership says, this is hard to say. I would like to just go home and not do this, but he steps up. He talks to the, to the leaders and says, guys, this is wrong. 
And then he calls a great assembly to hold them accountable. Let it be really clear, this is not good. We don't tolerate this. So we see that in the midst of this bad situation, God is working things out, but it takes a leader. It takes someone willing to to say the hard things. And so he calls them to task. He said, this is not right what you have done. And he calls them and says, we're going to, he gets the great assembly together. Uh, their response in verse 8 is, they were silent and could not find a word to say. See, they knew. They knew. They know that over time, things have kind of sl- slowly, you know, degenerated and we've kind of gotten away from the things that we really hold true. Have you ever found yourself kind of sliding away from that thing that used to really guide you? That principle, that, that truth, that conviction. And over time, you just kind of slowly get away from it. Well, when confronted with the truth, they were silent. They had nothing to say. It's like, yeah, this has kind of gotten away, kind of gotten bad, hasn't it? And so in verse 9, so I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Don't miss that. Ought not we to do the right thing because of the testimony the gospel, Old Testament is different. This isn't Jesus saying this. But because of what God is doing, we're being a horrible witness right now. The people are looking and saying, what, what's with you guys? I don't even understand why you guys are fighting. I'm not going to beat you guys up with this point, but we hear it all the time. The person who doesn't go to church looks at the person who goes to church and says, yeah, why would I want to be like you? See, that's, I don't want to go there, but there's that. And that's kind of what I think verse, verse 9 and 10 is, is, is drawing our attention to. Um, ought you not walk in the fear of God? And the fear of God says, my brother's hurting, how can I help? Maybe I can't help a lot. What can I do? Maybe I'm not positioned to where I can make sure you have plenty of food and, and no one's ever going to mess with your property. Maybe I can't do a lot, but what can I do? This call to honor God with our life, not just with a statement that we make once in a while so that we can prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies. So the response was, was clear. He, he paused. God gave him a conviction to speak truth, and he does, in fact, speak truth. In verse number 10, Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. So he's saying, my, I'm, I'm, I'm helping people. Nehemiah is saying, I've been on, honestly helping people without charging interest. Let us do the right thing. He calls them back to look at verse 11. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, what they say, everybody? Say it. We will restore these and require nothing from them. So the response was clear. So, so Nehemiah says, guys, this is hard to, for me to say, but you're messing up. Shouldn't we honor God and trust him? And in so doing, I want you to give everything back. I want you to do the right thing. And their response, first of all, they couldn't respond like, yeah, we're, we're guilty. But when he told them what to do and he gave them clarity, we will restore these and require nothing. See, God's ways are always better. When we trust God for the, for the process, when I trust that, yeah, this thing seems unhealthy or not really great, but if I do the right thing and say, God, I'm going to honor you in what I say and how I present this, let God do it. And their response wasn't like, who are you, or shut up, or I want to leave, or I hate you. Their response was, yeah, 
We need to do that. Here's what I love about God's people. God's people know. You got a problem with a Christian brother or sister, that thing that you need to address? I guarantee they probably already know something about it. So when I hear as someone has bold enough to say, hey, we need to not do this, we ought to honor God, they resonated right away. Now, if they weren't God's people, if they were like unbelieving people, or like we hate everything about you, then they would have fought. But instead, there was a tenderness that said, yeah, you're right. And so then when he tells them what to do, they say, count us in. We're going to do the right thing. I love that, don't you? So there's something about God's people, the person you might be having a struggle with right now, don't be afraid to say something. You might not need to call an assembly for it, but speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. So I love verse 12. They said they would do it. So in verse 13, he made, he made them make a promise. <laughs> this is, again, good leadership, accountability. Uh, in verse, uh, what did I say, 13? Uh, so they said they would do it. Uh, I also shook out of the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep his promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. <laughs> so it's like, you know, say I'm going to shake out the dust or the lint from this part of my garment, he says, and may God do that to you if you don't do what you just said you would do. We need a little bit more of that today, right? We need some people to show up and say, you know what, I hope God, no, <laughs> Don't say, I hope God, but may God be faithful as he draws us to himself. May we be drawn to obedience rather than saying, I'll give lip service, but really over here, I'm not changing anything. Nehemiah says, "Uh, no, I appreciate your heart. Appreciate your response. Just hear me say this. God will honor his word. So we see God's people. The problems are right here. We see God's ways are better. God's ways are better than other ways. Let, let the Lord and his word lead us as we deal with conflict. And then thirdly, God's glory. We see, we see the glory of the Lord through the example of Nehemiah. Here's the leader who's just simply doing what, what God's called him to do, and he's going to make it really clear not to draw attention to himself, but that God would receive glory. What good are our words if we don't live by them? What, what, what good are we doing for the gospel if it's only talk on Sunday, but it doesn't affect how I treat the people I work with or the challenges I face at school or with my peers? So Nehemiah is a, is a good example. He shows great leadership with this. So having straightened out the mess that hindered God's people from doing his work, by the way, I haven't brought this out yet, but do you realize in chapter 5 it never talks about the work that's being done? makes me think that the work paused. Uh, back to what we were doing in chapter 4. We have this internal strife, this internal issue. My, my people are being ripped off and they're, they're, they're mistreating us. Meanwhile, the wall, nothing's happening in chapter 5. I wonder if that may be what's happening. So now that he's dealt with the external issues and now he's talked about what's going on with each other, what we need to do, uh, he gives this wise counsel. Look at verse 14. He says, moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd uh, year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. So 12 years being in office, like an official office, um, he never tapped into the allowance he had to spend money to feed people. He didn't tap into the governor's or to the, to the uh, expense account for his own good. Why? 
because he knew those taxes were the burden on the people. This is kind of cool because he didn't have to do that. He could have clearly lived with the allowance given to him, but he chose not to. And he's not bragging here. He's just making a real clear point. This has cost me something. I'm willing to, to, to spend my money. Clearly, he would have been a wealthy man in his leadership role coming from Persia. And now uh, the, the ability he has, we'll see in the next few verses. But he didn't take advantage of that, though he could have, because he knew that's what the burden was. Verse uh, 17, moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. So I've not taken advantage of the, lights, of the, of the money uh, available to me through the taxes, but there's 150 people that sit at his table. Anybody eat with 150 people? I'm guessing you guys probably do often, yeah. Any of the rest of us? Like, normally not, right? Like, well, I had a big family. Uh, you guys, some of you know that. There was 10 kids in our family, and there weren't many occasions we were all at the same table because of the age difference. Um, but we enjoy a big table. And so it's something to have a big table, and everyone's there, and it's food. But I'm, for some of, most of you, that's like, uh, do you hit a dozen? Can you imagine 150 people the size of that table? That'd be kind of cool, huh? Like in a Disney movie or something like this really long table. And, you know, you're trying to get a message to the other guy to send you the salt. This, this large table, he fed 150 people at his table. He was a wealthy man with great influence. He paid the bill. He says, and that didn't include the foreign visitors, people that would often be at this huge, huge table that he fed. He said, now what was prepared at my expense for each day was an ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor because the service was too heavy on this people. Why is this in the story? Is he bragging? No, he's saying, I'm stepping into this moment. It's financially hard for these people. I can do this. And so I will feed the 150 people at my table. I will have this daily banquet and, and the ox and all the animals that were every day. And then every 10 days we brought in the wine and it was more celebratory. So he didn't, he didn't cash in on his privilege. He didn't cash in on all his ability. He simply said, I want to serve God's people sacrificially. And then verse 16, I also preserved in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for work. He said, well, we've given all this. Look what God has done because of the gift we've given. It's been said that leaders are people who accept more of the blame and less of the credit, but they're also people who quietly sacrifice so that others might have more. Can I say that again? These aren't my words. It's been said that leaders are people who accept more of the blame and less of the credit, but they are also people who quietly sacrifice so that others might have more. Nehemiah was a, an example that brought glory to God in his generosity. God is honored through our lives of trusting him because he loves us so much. So you got some trials, you got some challenges, things aren't great in your life, there's some things happening that you didn't ask for. See them as an opportunity. God, what do you want to do through this? What are you asking of me to sacrificially give for the benefit of others? Lessons for leaders. One, determine what you'll be passionate about. Determine what you will be passionate about. What gets you? And I don't mean just the political unrest or your views on certain issues. I mean, what's that thing I think seated in the gospel, the very core of why we're here. What's that thing that gets you? Be clear on what you're passionate about. 
During conflict, give yourself permission to take time. Whether it's conflict with other people or just at home or even with yourself. Lord, I just need to get my head cleared for a second. I need to pause and pray and ask for your guidance. Speak truth and love that leads to action, not just opinion. If we would give less opinion and more action, maybe some of these problems would start working themselves out. So give yourself time, but, but look for action. What can I do? God, what are you asking of me? Not just an opinion, but action. Be generous with what the Lord has given you. Bless as many people as you can. I want to stop there for a second. Instead of looking like God's given me all these resources and God's given me this ability to be at a certain comfort level and once in a while I'll toss something out, what if I had the attitude, I want to bless as many people as I can? What a, see the change there? I'd love to hear, you know, down the road, some of you say, man, I had 150 people at our house last night because we're just so generous. <laughs> Let's be generous with as many people as God would allow us. Doing God's work, God's way, glorifies him and fulfills his purpose. We can now get back to work on the wall because we're dealing with some of the internal strife that's taken place. Nehemiah ends by saying, Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. That's accountability. That's Nehemiah coming to God saying, God, I, all that I do, I do for you. Remember that, Lord. Remember what I'm doing and why I'm saying these things because it's for you. It's for your glory. This is accountability. You can come to a church like this. You can listen to a sermon like this. You can read a passage like this and think, yeah, that's really, that's a great idea. And then I'll walk away without that action, without that sense of God. What is it you want to do? He says, Lord, remember. Remember this work that I've done that you've called me to do for your glory, for your name's sake. And that would be my prayer for us that we leave here realizing, yeah, life's not perfect. We're not in heaven yet. There's some challenges, and sometimes they're pretty close to home. But Lord, I want to see that as an opportunity to honor you, to, to, to proclaim your name, to be generous with as many people as you, you, you would allow me to, to speak that truth and love and caring. Let me pray for you guys, and we'll wrap it up. God, we're so grateful for your word. We're thankful for the truths we've seen throughout this entire study of Ezra and Nehemiah, this unique time in history. Lord, I just was thinking earlier this morning, just reminded of uh, Zerubbabel's prayer and, and Zechariah at the rebuilding of the temple uh, uh, just a few years before we're now. And, and, and he says very clearly, the word of the Lord came, and it's not by might, not by power. Lord, it's not by all the resources. It's not by how great I'm doing with, with being, being, being the right person. Lord, it's not, by, it's not the resources, my might, my power, my last name, but by your spirit says the Lord of hosts. So God, we, your people, depend on your spirit to guide us, to lead us as we engage with challenging times, perhaps internal conflicts, perhaps just hard things from coming from without. God, help us to be faithful in trusting you for each step of the way and knowing that some of these conflicts really are just, just an opportunity for you to do your work. Help us be faithful at that. Lord, may we be mindful of your people, the growing number around the world today, the growing number here even in our church of people coming to faith in you and caring for one another as brothers and sisters. We ask your blessing on this and on the week to come that we would honor you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.